This message is a recording from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix that creates space to practice the ways of Jesus together as the multi-ethnic family of God. Um, Well, again, my name is Erin, and my pronouns are she, her, and I'd like to begin with a land acknowledgement, as always, to honor the Native people that existed here before us. I honor the first peoples of the current-day downtown Phoenix, the Thanal Otham Nation, In the words of Lisa Sharon Harper, they were and are here. We see you, we honor you, and we thank you for laying foundations of harmony, balance, truth, and honor. Thank you for stewarding the land where creator settled your people. We bless you. We bless your elders past, present, and emerging. Well, tonight, I want to talk about black history and the strength to love when you feel shame. Christy Bauman, author, teacher, and psychotherapist, did dissertation research on womanism and well-being, a manuscript dissertation exploring the effects of shame, loss, and gender issues. I was deeply intrigued by her work as I read it. I became even more familiar with that, with what shame really is. Shame, the belief that there is something wrong with oneself. I'll be honest with you, before a lot of things that transpired over this past month, which we'll get into in a little bit, I didn't think I had a real issue with shame. But the more that I read Strength to Love and the work of Dr. King, I see that he also dealt with shame. And the more that I read Black History, as we are on the last Sunday of Black History Month, I realize that I come from a people whose very existence in the caste system of America is rooted in shame. So I'm deeply intrigued by this word, shame, the belief that there is something wrong with oneself. Martial arts is teaching me a lot of things right now. And if you've been around long enough, you've heard me talk about my love-hate relationship with this particular art form. My goodness. I'm starting to believe that when you push your body to the highest levels, whatever is in you will come out. Whether that's tears, joy, reactions of uncertainty or fear, I've noticed when my body is so exhausted, so spent, depleted of any strength, it is also when my body speaks the loudest because there is nothing it can hide behind. I'm learning that when you don't have words for how you're feeling, your body will speak long before you can figure out the language that fits. So... A few weeks ago, we went to martial arts, and it wasn't an easy day of breathing with qigong or tai chi, which is one of my favorite ways. It was one of them hard days. The ones I like to forget and the ones I honestly don't like to go to. It was one of those circuit training, weight training, leg days, arm days. And although we enjoy having these private lessons, I often feel exposed because I feel like clunky and slow and out of place and out of my comfort zone. And I have not spent years training in martial arts like my husband has. And on this particular hard day, we had just finished an intense time of training with a collective shout of Tong Su, like we always do. And I was feeling a little lightheaded, like I was in a dream, 
All of my sinuses were open to the highest degree. I felt like I could breathe like I've never breathed before. I felt like I could smell everything like I was tasting through my nose. I was still trying to catch my breath, breathing deeply. And after I put my jacket on, to my surprise, I started sneezing and my nose started running. Interesting. Now, this has happened to me before, but this was the most intense I have ever felt it. I could not keep my nose from running, and I could not keep myself from sneezing. I kept asking myself, like, am I getting sick? Like, I can't be sick. I don't feel sick. My body is literally acting like it's sick. The entire 15-minute car ride home, I was sneezing, and my nose was running, and I'm like, what is going on? Later that day, I was supposed to meet up with Chris so we could have our normal Monday Kaleo meeting. I showered, I got myself dressed, thinking that my body would calm itself down, but it never did. We wound up meeting over Zoom because I still could not stop blowing my nose and sneezing. You can ask him. It was a really interesting meeting. (laughs) I could not understand why my body felt like it was sick when it wasn't. Now, I don't recommend that you self-diagnose But I did a little bit of research, and our community doctor, Kate Townley, wherever she might be, um, will have to confirm what I felt like I was experiencing was something called rhinitis. Non-allergic rhinitis involves chronic sneezing or a congested, drippy nose with no apparent cause. It's your body having a reaction to something that makes you think you're sick, Or that there's something wrong with oneself when you're not sick and there's nothing actually wrong with you. I eventually got over the sneezing and the runny nose, but it took me a couple more weeks to find the language of what I felt like my body was trying to say to me. It was also the week before and the week after that I experienced some of the most devastating blows from white supremacy in a while. One is that a white pastor of a predominantly white church outside of Arizona criticized the work that we do here at Kaleo. And from his white supremacist perspective, doesn't believe in the work of what we're doing, doesn't believe that we're an actual church, and doesn't believe that people here are actually following Jesus. And although my mind knew that he was wrong, His critique felt like a punch to the gut that knocked the wind out of me because his words made me question myself and my own identity. For a moment, it made me question if I'm a good pastor, if I'm a pastor at all, if anybody believes in the work that we're doing here at Kaleo. And in that same week, another large, predominantly white church in our city invited me to speak at a racial unity event which took so much mental and emotional energy for me to prepare for because I, once again, was trying to tell my own story of what it was like for me to be a black woman in predominantly white church spaces before Kaleo and how that formed me. I did the work of figuring out the language to use to present to them that it might extend as a lifesaver and an invitation to join in the work of liberating and of liberation. And even several of you here in this room were going to be with me that day. But less than 24 hours before the event, I got a call that it had been canceled. And it had been canceled due to other white people in that church not wanting that event to happen. 
and due to the fact that the lead pastors were more afraid of those white people's pushback than the cries from the people of color wanting to move forward in this work of racial unity. <sighs> Gosh, another devastating blow. And these two events in one week was more than my body could bear. And for a moment, this self-doubt, this shame, this questioning of identity was being spoken back to me by my body before I even had the language. You think you're sick, but you're not. You feel like there is something wrong with you, but there's not. The gaslighting, the questioning of identity, the pushback, the doubt from other people make you feel like there's something wrong with you. And that, my friends, is shame. What did I do with this feeling of shame? I was angry for many days and so frustrated with white supremacy and injustice. I felt like everywhere I turned, I was seeing how white supremacy penalizes, gaslights, belittles, and stunts growth and flourishing. Kendall and I have been privileged to recently buy a home, and I've even seen how white supremacy has infiltrated the housing market. It is frustrating that we have so many high-rises with vacant rooms and think that it is okay and normal to leave human beings on the streets without homes. I felt like I could not escape the reality that white supremacy is an abusive force that works on the basis of shame. To use Christy Bauman's words, shame is the belief that there is something wrong with oneself. White supremacy is rooted in shame. It is important for us to realize that shame as Americans is embedded in our culture. It is embedded in the way our society interacts with each other as people of color and non-people of color. The work of Resma Minikim, a healer and a trauma specialist, guides us further. He says white supremacy in all its forms twists the meaning of a simple self-evident reality. There is something inherently shameful, impure, and second-rate about being African-American. What's wrong with many of us is that racialized trauma is deeply embedded in our bodies, constricting us and limiting our ability to live full lives. What's wrong is that white supremacy continues to violate the black body and assault the black psyche and soul. We black Americans need to heal this trauma and grow out of it, both individually and collectively. The place to begin the all-important healing of trauma is with the body. On the, service, on the surface, white body supremacy looks like a highly favorable arrangement for white people. They get to reap a wide range of benefits while forcing other darker bodies to bear all the costs. This does not tell the whole story, however, which is that white body supremacy comes at a great cost to white people as well. There is the moral injury which creates shame and ever more trauma in white bodies. But white body supremacy also greatly diminishes white Americans' awareness of their own strength and abilities. And as a result, while the most overt and vocal white supremacists trumpet the superiority of European blood, many white Americans cower in fear and trembling or beg for help and comfort in the presence of people with dark skin. 
There is a real head-banging quality to all of this, which is why any attempts to address it through the head, the thinking, the reasoning brain are doomed. And it is why every answer needs to begin with the body. If you're white, you may discover that when you can settle and manage your body, you won't feel a need to manage black ones or a need to ask black ones to manage yours. You'll also be better able to manage, challenge, and disrupt white body supremacy. And if you're black or a person of color, you might find that when you can settle and manage your body, you'll be better equipped to not internalize the standards of white supremacy. You'll also be able to challenge it through organized and sustained resistance. Bottom line, Shame exists because it is the very thing that causes you to question your identity, your value, and your worth. And when your identity is in question, so is your purpose and the purpose of everyone else. Shame perpetuates shame. Kaleo is currently in the middle of a book club reading Strength to Love by Dr. King, which has been so graciously hosted for us by the Pope family. Shout out to them. And as we've been reading, I couldn't help but ask, how did Dr. King deal with shame? As I read, he teaches so clearly that shame has a cycle. What first starts out as the questioning of identity moves us into a state of tormenting fear. And the only thing that brings us out of that fear is love. He said a guilt-ridden white minority fears that if the Negro attains power, he will, without restraint or pity, act to revenge the accumulated injustices and brutality of the years. The Negro must convince the white man that he seeks justice both for himself and the white man. A mass movement exercising love and nonviolence and demonstrating power under discipline should convince the white community that where such a movement to attain strength, its power would be used creatively and not vengefully. Jesus knew that nothing could separate man from the love of God. The confidence that God is mindful of the individual is of tremendous value in dealing with the disease of fear. For it gives us a sense of worth, of belonging, of at-homeness of at in the universe. Courage is self-affirmation in spite of death and non-being. And he who is courageous takes the fear of death into his self-affirmation and acts upon it. Courage, the determination not to be overwhelmed by any object, however frightful, enables us to stand up to any fear. So when Dr. King felt shame, he reminded himself and his community reminded him that being loved was greater than fear. Shame that moves us into a state of fear becomes regulated in the body by love. If I am uncertain of who I am, I'm afraid. But it is love that makes me certain and therefore makes me unafraid. When I remember that I am loved and I remember who I am, I do not fear rejection. I do not fear hate. I do not fear gaslighting because the love our creator has for us regulates our bodies and we remember who we are. Our liturgical passage tonight gives us a picture of what Jesus did with shame. Mark 8, 31 through 38 reads this. 
Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter rebuked Jesus. That's literally what's happening here. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them, the Son of Man, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. There's a lot going on in that passage. Yes, <laughs> And it's not lost on me how this text can be used to separate the life work of Jesus from the act that happened on the cross. And therefore at times used to make people feel like they must bear shame and push through unsafe spaces because that is what their savior did. So before we move forward and talk about how Jesus dealt with shame, I want to name and acknowledge that some of us in this room come from church spaces where harmful theology was used to control and to manipulate. And so let's dismantle that theology a bit through the womanist theologian Raquel St. Clair. She's written that the traditional interpretations of the text calling for selflessness and bearing the burdens of others have been detrimental in the lives of African-American women in particular and to women in general. As at a certain time in our history, black women were expected to serve as domestic workers or surrogate mothers, often at the expense of the care that their own children needed. These jobs were taken out of economic necessity. But St. Clair's critique of the traditional interpretations of this text argues that in those interpretations, Jesus on the cross was disconnected from his life and his ministry. In his life, he resisted nonviolently social evils that deformed and defaced human life. He spoke out for the liberation of the marginalized and outcast by eating with prostitutes and tax collectors. His life and ministry holistically conveyed that humans, not God, are the source of suffering. Humans are the crucifiers, not God. Reverend Packard again suggests a new perspective on this text. The good news that Jesus is sharing in this week's gospel sure doesn't sit well with Peter. It doesn't always sit well with us either. The good news doesn't sound so good when it involves crosses and speaking up and being persecuted. We might not be so popular. This good news sounds like it's designed for downward mobility. Forget the ideal career trajectory or keeping up with the Joneses. The follower of Jesus is called to put their own self-interest aside and focus on the cross, the ultimate act of solidarity. 
This notion works completely counter to the way the world works. Of course we want to achieve the most we can and find worldly success. And Peter brings that viewpoint to Jesus, who then harshly rebukes him. But do we pay attention to that rebuke? And can we hold in tension that perspective in light of our world withholding reparations and refusing repentance from the evils of white supremacy? Jesus rebuked anyone that questioned his identity and purpose. Jesus was regulating his body as resistance to shame. Jesus was riding himself to do anything that would question his self-worth and purpose. Jesus didn't lose his life to oppression. Jesus gave his life in solidarity with those who are most crucified in our society. And I think that what Jesus is asking us to do is to not be afraid of those who try to shame us. To regulate our bodies enough to know the difference between shame, fear, and anxiety versus love, hope, and solidarity. Jesus is teaching us what it means to reject all oppositions to being loved, known, received, joyously accepted, and unconditionally loved by God without question. And as a community of multi-ethnic people, we stand in solidarity with one another and with those whose backs are against the wall. And so like Jesus, what are we going to do with shame? What are we going to do when others cause us to doubt ourselves and question our self-worth and value or question the way we practice the ways of a liberating Jesus? How about we give up shame? Let's get in the habit of non-violently resisting shame and rebuking those who question our identity. Cross-bearing brings with it the daily tension of agitating, of naming and resisting suffering. Followers of Jesus, writes Ted Jennings, must be willing to face the consequences of naming and resisting the crosses in our midst as they demonstrate the audacity of solidarity with the crucified, thereby disrupting the status quo. Tina and Jay, you can come up. And as we conclude, for Lent, as Chris said earlier, you can obviously fast or give up whatever you want. But I think the work of Dr. King, the ways of Jesus, and this really random story about me getting non-allergic rhinitis is inviting all of us to give up shame. Let's become more rooted in what we know to be true. Like dry farming, we're no longer a community that is watered by artificial systems. So when we experience shame, it forces our root systems to go down even more deeply into the soil of the earth where our ancestors are laid and we pull from it the water that rests there and we bear more fruit in our community, more goodness in our community, more hope in our community, more love in our community because it is not an artificial love. It is an everlasting, unbendable, unbreakable type of love. And I think when Jesus rebuked Peter, he was rooting himself even more deeply into who he actually was and what he actually was about.
Because even sometimes those who are for you won't understand your deepest act of solidarity. The act of downward mobility and nonviolent resistance is uncomfortable and sometimes feels clunky and out of place. But Jesus meets us there. Let's pray together. Oh God, we want to be like you. We want to reject the shame that is so embedded in our culture. God, as we breathe in and breathe out, we know that shame impacts our bodies in different ways. So would your spirit mother our souls to rid our aching hearts of shame? that has been so indoctrinated into our culture? Would you, great creator, mother us and soothe our crying hearts and rock us to sleep with the nurturing of your consistent love? Would you protect us and look after us from this place? Would you show us how to gift the giftedness of your mothering and your fathering towards us, to our community, our city, our people. You are a genderless God who is beyond our ability to know and understand, yet you choose to be understood by us. Would you, God, meet us here? And as we sit across and beside one another at the table tonight, would you open our eyes to see the beauty and the complexities of all of your good creation for every human and every created being is an expression of who you are. Would you teach us to reject shame and to reject the questioning of being loved by you in all things? Amen. For more information about Kaleo, visit kaleophx.com or follow us on social media at kaleophx.